Revelation chapter 3 is where you should find yourself in God's Word today, beginning in verse 14 through 22. We're going to close out Revelation 3. If you've been following along with us, this is part 13, 13 weeks now in the book of Revelation, and we gave out some journals earlier on, and I encourage you guys to write notes. I want to encourage you again to keep journaling and writing notes, and at the end of this chapter, I promise you the person with the most profound, most prolific, best notes, the most that you put into it is going to get a brand new iPad, okay? And I'm not messing with you, so if you think you did a good job and you want to meet up for coffee, I can't, I don't have time for coffee. So what you're going to have to do is take pictures of your notes or email me, just email me at Luke Frechette at gmail.com. Tell me why you think you should win the iPad, and I will gladly buy you an iPad, okay? So if you've been taking notes, you want me to see them, bring them to me. I will look at them, but I'll tell you what, we're going to close out chapter three, and I'm going to be good for it. I might even buy five iPads. I might even just get crazy. So that's lukefrechette at gmail.com. So send me an email. Here's what I want you guys to do now, though. Oh, man. We're going to pray, okay? Because in prayer, we put on the helmet of salvation, and you're going to need a helmet today. We're studying the church of Laodicea. Okay, it's known as the lukewarm church. It was a church, but it was a church that wasn't on mission anymore. A church that was very proud of itself. A church that had things figured out. It owned property. It made its bills. It had staff. It had done things. It had clubs and committees. It owned vehicles. They had chariots with 22-inch rims on them. And they had things going good for them. And yet Jesus looked at him and says, no, 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 no. You're not hot for me. You're not cold like you once were, praise God, but you're right in the middle. You're lukewarm. And here's the scary part. The seven churches of the book of Revelation are a historical record of those churches then. Listen, but they're also a prophetical declaration of the churches that would then span the next 2,000 years. And for 2,000 years, churches changed and ebbed and flowed throughout Europe and the rest of the continents and as we navigated into the Americas. And the churches changed. And each one of these seven churches in order illustrate prophetically an age, a stage, an era, or a fate. Did I say stage? A stage or an age or a phase of the churches. So now when we come to the last church, it would make sense to assume that this last church symbolizes the last church. And if you're like me, you actually believe that the year 2019 or whatever it is and these days are the last days. Things are getting crazier and weirder. The stage is set. Technology has provided a platform for all of the things in the scriptures to unfold and to take place that all the commentators for thousands of years have not been able to put together. And yet it's all here. The stage is set for the Lord to return to rescue his bride. And so he says the last church is going to be the Laodicean church. Now, I would also, if you were here last week and if you weren't, go online and stream the service. Last week, we studied the Philadelphia church, which I also believe it's the faithful church, the church that loved each other and loved people enough to tell them the truth. And they were the ones who had an open door before the ministry was flowing. I also believe that depending on where you choose to navigate your life, you can be part of the Philadelphian church that your life can be one of love for God and love for others. So we're gonna study what Jesus had to say to the church at Laodicea, but let's pray first. Father, it's in Jesus' name now that we ask that your spirit would guide us and direct us, that you would peel back, Lord, the areas of darkness over our own hearts and minds, and that you would show to us what you want us to see. Lord, we could be easily entertained or 
critical or concerned with the rest of the world and other churches and denominations and say, look at them. I don't think that would profit us. Or today we can say, Lord, I'm ready to look at myself. Where am I? What am I doing? The guy on stage isn't my problem. The leadership of this church isn't my problem. The other churches and the government and the world around us, that's not my problem. I'm my problem. Am I hot or am I cold? Or am I lukewarm? And so in Jesus' name, Lord, would you honor this time as we study it together, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. I'm going to read verses 14 through 22. You can follow along with me. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Some of your translations say barf. I'm just kidding, they don't, but they should. I will vomit you out of my mouth, verse 17. Because you say, here's why, I am rich, I've become wealthy, I have need of nothing, and you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18, the grace comes flowing in. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen and amen. We find ourselves now coming to an end of the second section of the book of Revelation. Next week, we'll begin the third section of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is divided into three main parts. Chapter one, the very first part, where John is instructed, write the things that you have seen, looking past. And he details the life of Christ, the glory of Jesus, the foundation stone, the cornerstone. And then he says, and write the things which are, chapters two and three. We spent the last seven weeks in chapters two and three talking about the church age, stage, era, and phase. And then he says, and write the things that will come after these things. Chapters four through five are detailed of what goes on in heaven directly after the rapture, what we're anticipating next. Chapters five and four, four and five, then lead to chapters six through 19, which detail simultaneously what's going on on planet earth during chapter four and five up in heaven. And chapter six through 19 is known as the great tribulation period. And then chapters 20, 21 and 22 are the Lord's return and the setup of the new heaven and the new earth and the millennial reign. And we live happily ever after. You guys been writing this stuff down? You got this down? And in chapters two through three, the middle part, he says, write the things that are. That is the church age. Before he gets to that point, though, I just need to remind you the divine outline. He says, first talk about what you already know. This is so important. First talk about Jesus. Talk about the things that you have seen. Jesus Christ in his life on earth. John, you were best friends with him. Make sure that people know about that. Make sure they know about Jesus. And then he died. Oh, sad day. 
He didn't stay dead. He came back from the dead with death and Hades in his hand and the keys of hell and he became victorious. And John, before he wrote to the churches, said, make sure they know that Jesus didn't stay dead. He came back alive and now your sins can be forgiven and death is no longer an enemy of yours. And I'll tell you what, right now, I'm excited about the chapters two through three, the church age, that's us, what we can learn from them. But until you are a firm believer and founded on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, it's so important. You're not gonna be able to handle chapters two through three. You're not gonna be able to handle the Bible even today. You're gonna come into things as the church, hearing from God's spirit, not necessarily knowing if God is good, unless you know who Jesus is, not necessarily wanting to adhere to the scriptures, unless you know who Jesus is, not really understanding God's plan for the future, unless you know who Jesus is. And this is elementary for you, but I'll tell you what, I, I have to remind myself, okay? At least, at least to do my job, I have to remind myself who Jesus is. Last night I went upstairs to prepare my sermon. My wife stayed down to prepare her message. She's upstairs teaching in the five to seven room. And I just prayed for her and me that we would be so swept away with who Jesus is, that we'd be able to do what we do well. The message comes out of an understanding of who Jesus is. So, if you're wrestling with scriptures and what it says in my role and responsibility and all the rest, find out and settle in your heart who Jesus is and you'll be able to move forward properly. Well, Jesus here gives these letters then to the seven churches. We studied Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, Pergamos, Sardis, Philadelphia, and now the final church, the church that prophetically and historically symbolizes the final age, the church before the rapture. I'll tell you what, this church, Laodicea, I just read it to you. They're the lukewarm church. They had everything put together. They were rich and wealthy. As a matter of fact, historically, we know that they were rich and wealthy. Laodicea was destroyed in an earthquake at one point, and Rome contacted them and said, hey, how are you guys doing? You need help rebuilding? They said, we got it. We're good. And they actually, historically, they used their own finances to rebuild their city. Okay, they had a market on black wool. They had these wool productions and these, these uh, textile industries where they've had woven fabrics. They were very rich. They had a history of compromising with their enemies in order to not offend anybody. People would come against them and threaten them and say, hey, we're just, we're cool. You want a hoodie? You want a sweatshirt? You know, they would make stuff and we can buy you off. And historically, they were very neutral in their stance. You guys actually might know this from your history books because Laodicea actually is uh, still a word used in the dictionary today. You can look it up and it means lukewarm. And in Laodicea, there was two towns nearby, Colossae and Philadelphia. And there was regions known as Hierapolis and some other areas where there was a hot water spring about six miles away. And there was a cold water spring about 10 miles away. And so these guys were so rich and they were elevated on a bluff. They didn't have water. So they said, let's make aqueducts and let's pipe in this hot water, 148 degrees out of the ground. You who have hot tubs know that 148 degrees is way too hot. Okay, it's too hot. Okay, so they would pipe this hot water to their city and they would pipe this icy cold water to their city, not factoring in that after six or seven miles of travel, that hot water would become lukewarm and that icy, cold, refreshing water would become lukewarm as well. I'm not even making this stuff up. They had a lukewarm water problem, a real one. Even to this day, you can go to Laodicea on a tour and they still have water problems. There's no water there except it's lukewarm. And you guys know hot is good and cold is great. Lukewarm's not really good for anything. You ever had hot coffee? Oh, it's from heaven. It's from heaven. It's from heaven. Prove me wrong. Iced coffee? Oh, it's another world. It's another world. It's, you know, you ever had lukewarm coffee? Blah, blah, blah. You know, you spit it out. Tea, soup, 
you know, hot or cold, let's go, you know, in the middle, even water. I don't mind room temperature water. I can pound it pretty easily. But if it gets a little warm, not hot, not cold, it almost just tastes sick. Jesus says, yeah, that's how you guys are to me. This, the Laodicean church, not hot, not cold. And he gives them great counsel. I want you guys to see this. I don't have a lot of time to go through each one of these verses. And I want you to understand though, this church I believe is the same framework that we are dealing with in the year 2019, this postmodern age. Okay, I asked this question last week. How many of you guys think that the church and history and generations have had the exact same kind of factors to deal with that we do? They have not. We're in a very peculiar time. As Americans in the year 2019, very important that we don't lose traction and find ourselves drifting from a source of hotness into the middle or ice cold refreshment and into the middle but that we stay one or the other. We'll talk about that as we get there, this generation. I'll just give you a few thoughts that uh, make sense to me. In the 1920s, 1926 exactly, I think, uh, a publication came out uh, called Time Magazine. And Time Magazine began to just kind of detail time, what's happening. And it was just a general periodical that talked about time. And a few months or years later, another periodical came out. It wasn't time, it was life. Let's talk about life. And they began to kind of zero it in a little bit. And after Life Magazine took off, another magazine came out called People. So it wasn't about time or life. Now let's just talk about people. And people was pretty fun and taking off. And somebody said, let's just stop talking about people. Let's talk about us. And a new magazine came out called Us. And pretty soon another magazine came out called Self. And then the magazine came out Vanity Fair and all these titles. And now there's another magazine out called Me. It's like me, you know. And then we get swept up into the iPad and iPod and iPhone generation. It's I, I, I. And I'm just telling you, we're in a postmodern, hedonistic, self-serving, me, myself, and I. If I don't like it, I'm probably going to adjust until I do. We don't want to be told what to do. As a matter of fact, our liberal, cultural, crazy world says, follow your heart. You just do what you want to do. Okay? Let's get away from this dogmatic, super strict, fundamental kind of hot mentality where the truth is truth. Let's just go ahead and let's make up our own truth. And Jesus self-identifies to this church three ways. He says, I'm the amen. I'm the faithful and true witness. And I'm the beginning of the creation of God. Jesus says of himself, I'm the amen. Amen literally means I'm the truth. So be it. When we are convicted of something or agree with something, we say, amen. That's true right there. And Jesus to a lukewarm group that didn't really want to have a political party or didn't really want to have a spiritual stance or didn't really want to make a decision. They just wanted to stay right in the middle and don't bother anybody. Jesus says, I'm the amen, okay? It's going to bother some people. I'm the faithful and true witness is what Jesus says of himself. As if to say, you're the church. You're supposed to be faithful and true. You guys know what witness means in the Greek? In the Greek, witness means martis or marteo. We get our English word martyr. The church is supposed to live a lifestyle that denies itself, even willing to die to itself, okay, to promote the kingdom of God. And yet how many times, I'm not going to point to other people, how many times have you been convinced, even in your own heart or mind, that it's okay to just have it your way, self and us and people and I, I, I. It's human nature, and yet Jesus comes along and says, look, if you get to make the rules, if you get to call the shots, if you're the one in charge, things are going to get lukewarm. Things are going to get weird. And Jesus says to this group, you guys need to tighten it up. 
Look at verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Look at verse 14. Uh, some of your versions have been um, updated. Some of your versions have been translated from other copies. Mine says, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Got that circled? It's the only church of the seven where it says of and then the town. It doesn't say of Ephesus or of Sardis or of Thyatira. All other six churches, it says in Sardis, in Ephesus, in, La in Thyatira, in Pergamos. In other words, this church actually looked at itself, not just being in Laodicea, this was the church of Laodicea. It might be just a small grammatical error, but it's the only one of the seven churches that actually identifies itself. This is their church. In other words, it's not his church. And when it's not his church and it becomes our church, it becomes a lukewarm church, guaranteed. One time I was working at the Upper Room Coffeehouse and Bookstore and in Ashland, this woman came in and she said she went to a church. And I said, what church do you go to? And she said, I go to the Rogue Valley Unitarian Universalist Fellowship. And I said, do you need a napkin after saying that? Like you're spitting everywhere, you know. Rogue Valley Unitarian Universalist Fellowship. And we began talking about their church. And, and I, and I kind of just in my youthful zeal said, I don't think you guys should call yourself a church because you're not a church. She didn't like that. She didn't like the soup I made. She didn't like me anymore. And I just, I went on to tell her, I was like, church, the Greek word church is ekklesia. It means called out and set apart from the world. It means we're different. We're not the same. We're not a Unitarian Universalist fellowship where we celebrate all things as true and right. And we promote, that's a, listen, when a church becomes our church and not his church, you will become lukewarm. Easy to point to the Unitarian Universalist fellowship there in the Rogue Valley, there on Main Street. Easy to do that question I'm going to ask at the end of the service, if we get to it, is whose life is yours? Who are you? Or who, who, who do you belong to? Are you self-made, self-funded, self-resourced, self-governed, or have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Lord, take my past, please. Lord, you can have my present. Lord, I'm going to wrestle you over the future, but I still want you to win, but you can have the future. Is he in charge of your life? Well, the church at Laodicea possibly was looking at themselves as their own. Now, you Bible students, write this down. I'll read it to you, but Colossians chapter four, right around verse 12, Paul ends his book to Colossae. Colossae was about seven miles from Laodicea. Listen, please, I'll read it to you. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, he greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea. And those in Hierapolis, where the hot springs were, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Verse 15, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, in Nymphus, and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle, Colossians, is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you, amen. Stop right there. That's the end of Colossians. Paul ends the book of Colossians saying, hey, by the way, make sure you guys go to Laodicea. My buddy's over there. He mentions Laodicea four times in the closing salutations of Colossians. 
Make sure the book is read there. Make sure they have a copy of the epistle. Make sure it goes to this guy's house. And make sure Archippus, by the way, did you catch that? Make sure Archippus, you tell Archippus to fulfill the ministry that God has given to him. Remember my chains. That's how he ends it. Now, when I was reading that last night, I was like, what? Did you know that the whole Bible, okay, applies to each and every one of us personally? Like there's parts, and it just applies to you. But can you imagine Paul writing the Bible and putting your name in it and said, hey, tell Archippus I'm watching him. Like, what? I don't know who this Archippus guy is, but I hope he got his act together. What? Read it on your own, man. Freak out with me. You tell Archippus, take heed to the ministry. Wow. Now, here's the deal. Paul loved that church. Jesus loved that church. John loved that church but they had drifted. This church again represents you and I. Uh, and I think it's so basic to understand this. There are really only three types of people at any given time in the world, okay? There are those that are hot, okay? On fire for Jesus, you're excited about him. Prayer time's not a drudgery to you. Reading the Bible's not a struggle for you. Ministering to others, giving your tithe and offering isn't a challenge for you. Fellowshipping with others, repenting of sins, you're excited about that. You're still broken. You still have sins. You still have bad days. Somebody slips you decaf every once in a while. It doesn't go great for you. All that happens, but you're hot, okay? Then there are other people. You're straight up cold to the Lord. You're not born again. You're not excited about the kingdom of God. You might not necessarily be opposed to it, but you're still just weighing the evidence. You're, you're gonna go to church and make a decision, and, but you're outside the camp, completely unregenerate over here. And listen, listen, God said, I want you to be cold or hot because if you're cold towards the Lord, eventually you're gonna realize you're cold. How many guys have ever been cold and like not known it? No, no. When you're cold, you know it. No, you're not fine. You know what you don't know is when you're lukewarm. You're not hot, you're not cold, you're, just, you're unaware. You're absolutely fine. Don't bother me. You're good for nothing over here and the Lord can't get your attention. When you're cold though and the Lord woos you and offers you a jacket or forgiveness or love, love that, you know, and you're cold. And Jesus, I want you, I want you over here because in your cold season away from the Lord, when you walk in your own foolishness, you get so cold and broken, it sometimes ends in jail sentences, it ends in divorce court, it ends in the hospital, it ends in a, a clinic. You find yourself over here depressed and all broken, and God says, cool, got your attention now. There are three types of people, hot, cold, okay, and then there are indifferent in the middle. Paul is speaking to a church here, and different commentators said that this must not even be a saved church. It must be completely apostate. I don't know if that's true. I see the book of Colossians. I think it was a bunch of Christians that had been hot at one point. And through life, circumstances, selfishness, what it says right here, listen, this is gonna hurt somebody, through comfort and affluence, he says, you know what you guys actually think? You think you're clothed. You think you're wealthy and have become rich and you have need of nothing. Remember when they were offered help from Rome? They, we don't need help, we're good. And you can't help but come to that natural conclusion. If you're completely fine, you're absolutely good, you're not cold, you're not hot, you're just gonna stay there. And so the Lord comes in and says, guys, it makes me sick. I wanna vomit. Whoa. I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> just wanted you to make sure we're listening here. Here's what I want you guys to do right now. Which camp are you in? Most of us probably have enough false humility to not say we're the hot, hot guys. Like, oh, I'm not hot, but, but I think you should. You're not perfect, okay? To be hot is where you wanna be. I wanna be a hot Christian. I wanna be hot. 
What do I want to be hot? If you're a Christian, you're either hot or, or lukewarm. I don't think you're going to go cold again. You might, okay, through a season, God will get you. Your heart will break. It'll get so cold, and the Lord will get you back to where you need to be. But I would say that on any given day, if you're honest with yourself as an American, with any range of affluence at all, which we all have, comparatively speaking, to generations past and our societies around, you better say, Lord, am I, oh no, I go to South Beach Church. I go to South Beach Church. They're hot. They're fired up. Good. Praise God. I hope we are. Ask yourself, am I hot? And, and he's going to tell us what to do. So this is such a, in, in this portion, there's only two churches. Seven churches get letters. Only two get no at a boy or at a gal. Okay, Sardis, the dead church, Jesus isn't proud of them at all, and this church, he has nothing good to say about them. But I do see verses 18 through 22, Jesus grabs him by the collar. He says, I'm gonna counsel you now. I'm gonna counsel you like a dad to his kid who's just blown it. Let me tell you what's going on. And he tells him what to do to repent with zealousness and to buy gold and white garments and eye salve. Listen, Jesus wants everybody to be hot. Because when you're hot, you're useful, you're ready, you're sharp, you're fired up. You're not gonna waste your life. This is such a hard thing to talk about, okay, in our culture. You're gonna waste your life with comfort and affluence. Nothing wrong with having resources. Nothing wrong with having wealth. God's given to you wealth and resources in order to steward for his glory and others' good. That's it. Whether you have a dollar or a million of those dollars, he's given that to you to steward. It's a matter of where your heart is. Are you lukewarm? Are you cold? Or are you hot? Jesus, verse 15, says, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. Did I read that? I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, Jesus says, I'm going to violently get you out of my mouth. Let me just for you Bible students, uh, students help me think of something. Jesus says elsewhere, Paul writing, that Christ right now in heaven ever lives to make intercession for us. The Bible declares that right now for believers, Jesus is constantly talking about you to his father, to the angels, to the Holy Spirit. He's praying for you. That's what he's doing. This is such a comforting thought. Jesus, pray for me and pray for some of y'all out there too. Pray, Lord. And yet the lukewarm person, he says, I got you on my mouth. I'm praying for you, praying for you, but I see an indifference. I'm gonna vomit you out of my mouth. You gotta make a choice today. How do you want to be on the Lord's lips as a pleasing offering to him? And as I was struggling with this message, putting it together, I was actually like, Lord, how can I fire these people up? And the Lord kind of spoke to me. I was like, you can't, Luke. Don't even worry about it. It's not your problem. It's not your job. Point to the blueprint. Read the map. Okay? I'll do it. This is what I do. And I was like, oh, okay, that's going to be easy. Church is going to be fun then. I just get to read the book and talk about it. And you get to light fires in people's hearts. You get to be the one that stirs them up and peels back the layers and identifies those areas where there's self-deception, where there's compromise. I am so confident in the power of the Holy Spirit to convict you and me and us and my wife and my three kids and the people I live next to, everybody, I'm so confident in him. This is what he's gonna do. And he asks us to trust him in this process. Look at verse 17, because you say I am rich, I've become wealthy and I've need of nothing. And you do not know, this is interesting, the self-deception we talk about self-deception quite a bit, and the problem with being self-deceived is that you don't know you've been deceived. 
Right now, raise your hand if you're self-deceived. You should all be raising your hand. Because you're, you're like, oh, I don't think I am. That's because you're deceived. <laughs> we all are. We got blind spots. And the Lord is so faithful. You know how he reveals what we need to see? Through his word, through his spirit, and through his people. Okay? Those three main components. And so if you're into his word, you're going to see things right. Okay? If you're into the spirit, listening, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, okay, you're going to see things right. If you're into his people, you love people, you're going to hear and sense his Holy Spirit. God's going to show you what you need to see. He says, you do not know, verse 17, right in the middle, that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This would have been so offensive. These people had a wool fabric factory and enterprise where they were dressed to the nines. This is where Ralph Lauren started his business and Armani right there. And they had, you know, these black leather hoodies or, you know, wool hoodies. And man, it was legit. And Jesus is like, no, you're, you're naked. Like, I'm pretty sure we're fully clothed, even better than most, you know. You're poor. Ah, no, I'm pretty sure we're rich. And you're blind. Did you know also in Laodicea, true story, Aristotle actually met, mentions this in some of his writings. Um, Laodicea actually had a medical uh, industry where based on some of the medicines around, they were able to put together an eye salve in Laodicea that blind people would travel to Laodicea and get treatment for their eye problems and actually receive healing. Okay, it was powerful stuff there. And Jesus looks at us and says, you guys are blind. Like, what? Jesus, I'm not sure if you've been to our church before. We're actually pretty good. We're not blind, we're not naked, and we're not poor. And he says, no, you are. At this point, as a believer, you have to ask the Lord to soften your heart, to show you the things that you have willingly accepted and promoted. And, and if you're like me, you've been doing this for a while, that is walking with the Lord. And there were seasons long ago where you were okay with something. It was fine. It was a neutral habit, a neutral activity. Not sinful, not hot, but just kind of my deal. And after a while, the Lord says, hey, how's that deal going? Maybe it's an attitude, just a way of thinking towards other people or towards the church or towards something. And attitudes usually lead to actions. And if you've been walking with the Lord long enough, he's so kind to just grab you by the hand and pull your attention and say, hey, you done, done with that yet? Has it produced real lasting fruit in your life? No. Has it produced real lasting joy in your life? No, not yet, but I'm just give me one more, one more try though. Give me one more try. Give me one more week doing whatever it is I've been doing for the last 22 years and we'll see if it actually pays off. I'm telling you right now, the Lord says, guys, there's more to come. Did, did you know how he ends this portion? He says, if you overcome, I'm gonna put you on a throne in heaven just like I overcame and sat on my father's throne. What? Jesus is saying to this church, guys, don't sell out for the subtleties of this world. There is a world of rulership and ownership and joy that is to come. Don't settle for less. Look at verse 18. The grace comes flowing in. I believe this is Jesus' true colors. I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined in the fire, that, that you may be rich. And white garments that you may be clothed. 
that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Jesus says, come to me and buy these three things, gold, white garments, and eye salve. <laughs> you get the picture in your mind, Jesus has got this like, you know, Winnebago and he opens it up or something. He's got this like trailer and he's like, hey, I got some gold right here and I got my own eye salve and I got these white hoodies instead of your black hoodies. Like you need my stuff. And he says, buy it from me, which to me, you can't buy anything from the Lord, right? Okay, but you do have to receive it. I was thinking this through last night at my house. Let's say Fred Myers began to give away free stuff, absolutely free. Not a bad idea. But if I was sitting at my house and Fred Myers was giving away free stuff, guess how much of that free stuff I would get? None. Because Fred Myers ain't gonna come to my house and give me free stuff. But if they advertise free stuff, everything's free. And I sat at my house going, oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait till that free stuff from Fred Myers shows up at my house. <laughs> it's not gonna show up your house. You gotta go to Fred Myers and get it. And when Jesus says, buy from me, okay? He says the same thing in Isaiah 55. He says, come and buy from me, okay? Buy from me bread, buy from me water, buy from me. It's not that it costs you anything, but he does want you to want it. I've been meditating on this for a week now because we got down with Philadelphia and I'm thinking about the Laodicean church and I've just been meditating on being on fire for, for Luke Frechette because I'm my biggest problem. And I've been driving around going, Lord, am I, am I on fire? Because according to that church, they didn't know they weren't. They thought they were, but they weren't. And I could easily probably say I am, but I don't know if I am. Lord, am I? Lord, search my heart. And how many Christians have lost a sense of urgency, okay, for the things that matter most? A sense of urgency for God's mission and God's kingdom. Because you have everything figured out, your bills are paid and your mortgage is down and you've made a few investments, good job, that's great work. Okay, I'm trying to do the exact same thing. But I do not want to let my fire grow dim. And so Jesus says three things. Come get gold refined in the fire. Let me just talk about that quickly. Peter says in his book, don't be surprised by the trials you're going through because those trials are intended to purify your faith like gold that's refined in the fire. Let me just say this. You know what Jesus wants for his church? He wants faith in him, not faith in stuff. He wants you to trust him for all things. And the only way, buckle up, the only way you're going to be able to trust in him with pure faith, buckle up, is by going through trials. Okay, let me say it the most in-your-face way I can possibly say it in the time we have left. The only way to stay hot for the Lord, okay, is to stay at the front of the line where the battle is the fiercest, where you're going to take on the most hits, where there's going to be the most challenges, where life gets nutty. When life is nutty for you, when life is crazy, when trials are flying, your faith is being purified like gold and your life's actually gonna count and you're gonna be hot. I promise you this. It is when everything is easy for you and you're on spiritual vacation for years and decades at a time that nothing is happening and you're lukewarm and you just wanna please everybody and you don't really wanna fight for Jesus and his mission and you're distracted by lesser things. The way to stay focused, <laughs> buckle up, is to say, Lord, do whatever it takes to purify me, whatever it takes, because I don't want to blow it. And the Lord will orchestrate and already has orchestrated trials you're already in. Maybe it's the trials you're going through right now and you're not looking at them right. You're not looking at this trial. Like, oh, this is a horrible thing. And why is my marriage this way? And why is this happening? And this is such a bummer. And the Lord's like, no, 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 no. That's gold. That's going to get you. It's going to get your attention. Little things, everything. The next thing he says is get some white garments. Okay, this speaks of righteousness that is gifted to you and received through repentance. He says in the next verse, be zealous and repent. 
I'm telling you what, Christians. Christianity isn't just a one-time decision. Oh, Jesus, when I die, go to heaven. I'm no dummy. Let's sign up for that. And then we go live our lives. Okay? He purifies us. A Christian's life is to be a lifestyle of repentance. Not to get saved, not even to stay saved, but because you're saved. Christians, if you want to be pure, you want to stay focused, you don't want to get lukewarm, can I just encourage you? Repent daily. Find something or someone to repent to. You got a spouse? Repent to them. Okay, I guarantee you got some stuff to repent over right now. You got kids? Humble yourself and repent to them, okay? For being a jerk, or for being loveless, or for being aloof or selfish, okay? Repent. Repent to a communi- uh, 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 accountability partner. Repent to the Lord. See, here's the problem. We defend ourselves. We deny we justify, we look at other people worse than us, not hard to do, and say, I'm not that bad. Or you look at your old you, the cold you, and say, remember that? I'm not that guy anymore. I might not be the hot guy. I'm just this guy, but hey, I'm okay. I'm okay. You're okay. We're okay. He says, no, no, white garments. Speaks of righteousness and holiness. And then he says this, eye salve. Get some of my eye salve and put it on your eyes. Did you know Jesus healed many blind people? There are three actual records in the New Testament, and he healed all three blind people differently. One guy, he says, go, you're healed. Oh, lucky day, I'm healed, he got healed. Another guy, he spits on the ground, makes mud and puts it in his eye. There you go, hope that works. And then another guy, he looks at him, no mud involved, just spit right in his eye. Like, and I'm studying this, I'm going, okay, Lord, if you can heal me of my stuff, just tell me I'm healed. You wanna spit in my eye, that's cool. You gonna throw mud in my eye, for real? And imagine the guy with mud in his eyes like, uh... That was a dirty trick, you know? Like, man, I've been bullied my whole life, but I just didn't see that coming. That's funny. And he tells, Jesus tells him, now go and wash. What's he do? He goes and washes. Oh, dude, I can see. Now, what if he said, nah, I don't want to wash. I kind of like this whole mud thing. It's a new look for, for me. That's funny too. Anyways, what, I like this stuff. When you and I, find ourselves with mud in our eye, irritations, okay? This guy was sent, Silo means sent to the waters. When we go to Israel in May, we'll go to those same waters. It's gonna be amazing, okay? People are gonna be healed. It's gonna be crazy. And what Jesus is doing in your life right now, you got some irritations, some things going on. Jesus actually wants you to wash in the water of the word. How are you gonna stay hot, okay? Wash yourself in the water of his word every day and your sight will come back. You'll be moved from the middle to the hot section where you need to go. Trials in your life will purify you. Repentance will get you hot again. Bathing in his word will put you where he wants you to go. Look at verse 19, one of the most famous verses in the world, verse 19. And as many as I love, I rebuke. Actually, verse 20. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. If you want more on that, come back to the 6 p.m. We'll talk about that more tonight. But verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. This promise Jesus makes to this lukewarm church. He says, guys, I'm right here. I'm right here knocking. Most people use this verse at evangelism rallies where they're trying to get non-believers saved. This verse in context is to a church that had Jesus on the outside. Maybe it was the Universalist Unitarian Fellowship in the Rogue Valley. Maybe it was other people that were once hot and had fellowship with Jesus, and now Jesus, you know, went out to go make sure his car was locked, and we shut the door on him and turned the handle, and he's on on the other, hey, can I get back in? 
If you let me in, he said he's something, he's something. He said something. If you let me in, I'll eat with you and you'll eat with me. Eating in that day was even more intimate than it is in our day. We love having people over for dinner. We go to people's house for dinner to, to fellowship with them. It's, it's, it's a way to get to know people. In that day, even more so. Jesus loved to eat with people. On the road to Emmaus, he ate with the boys as he revealed himself to them. And after his resurrection, he ate the fish and the honeycomb. And when Peter was running away in John 21, he made him some fish and chips. And Jesus loves eating with people. And he says to the church here, I want a fellowship with you. Do you know if you go to In-N-Out Burger? Which, by the way, in a few months will open at the Kaiser Station. Okay? Hour and 45-minute drive, 85 miles from here. Don't take my word for it. It's under construction right now. In-N-Out Burger. Founded in 1948. It's going to be great. Anyways, they're they're coming. If you go to In-N-Out Burger on the bottom of their cups and their fry boxes and their burger bags, did you know that on the bottom there, all printed there, is Revelation 3.20. And Jesus is saying, if you open the door to me, I'll take you to In-N-Out Burger. (laughs) Which is a great experience. Look at verse 21. Ryan, would you come up and lead us in a song? He says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also have overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. Now here, I just want you guys to zoom in. Okay, pay attention right now. Jesus looks at this church then, and he says, Guys, guess where I'm at? I'm on the outside looking in. Not not where I want to be. But I'm so gracious, I'm going to knock. I want to come back in. You guys have kind of pushed me out of your life. You pushed me out. You think you're rich. You have become wealthy. You are clothed. But I'm on the outside. And that makes, listen, all of that null and void. Your life is embarrassing. The way you live is offensive. It is nauseating. And you would protest, I'm not cold. I'm not hot either. He would say exactly. He would say exactly. So here's my question for you as the communion is brought forward and we're preparing to worship. This is for individuals, okay? Don't, don't think about your spouse. Don't think about your husband or your wife. Don't think about your kids. Think about you right now. Is Jesus really welcome in your life? Is he welcome in your home? Is he welcome when he tells you something you don't want to hear? Some of us say, well, yeah, he's welcome as long as he doesn't ask too many questions or dig into my stuff. As long as he tells me I'm, that he loves me and I'm, I'm doing great. But what if he comes into your house and he rebukes you or challenges you or says you're the church, you're called out, you're not to be lukewarm, you're actually on purpose supposed to be different. Yeah, but if I'm different, I'm, if I'm hot, I'm going to take on opposition and trial yeah why would I want that Jesus because I'll be with you in fellowship and if you don't live for me if you live for yourself or your own ideas I'll be on the outside looking in and if you let me into your life more I'll be right there with you and then the good part if you overcome there's more in store you'll be on a throne ruling with me you guys realize this people are dropping like flies Every two seconds, someone dies.
you're going to die. And Jesus says, run the race. Run the race. Don't get put to sleep by the comforts of this world. Would you guys bow your heads? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for your kindness toward us sinners. That you would die for us. That you would labor for us. That you would even warn us. You've got some stuff in your mouth you want to spit out. But instead, you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray for you. That you get hot. That you stay on fire. Get in the book. Go through trials. See things differently. If you're here today, right now, in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you want to be that hot Christian, don't make promises, but you're just saying, Lord, I want to be a hot Christian. I don't want to be lukewarm. Would you right now raise up your hand by humility? Raise up your hand, Christian, right now. If that's you, you say, I don't want to be lukewarm. I want to be hot. I don't want to be caught off guard. Lord, please help me to overcome. Thank you for my life you've given me. I don't even deserve it. You don't even deserve your life. You think you're self-made, but you're not. You think you're wealthy and have become rich, but really Jesus sees you as one who needs him. Raise up your hand right now if that's you. Lord, my hands are up in Jesus' name. Would you help us, Holy Spirit? Help this church to be a hot church. Help these people to be hot people, Lord. Not lukewarm, not just looking for comfort. Forgive us, Lord. Rebuke us, Lord, in those areas where we've become weird and soft. You can put your hands down. And if you're here this morning and you would say, you know what, I'm, not, I'm cold. I want to get hot, though. I want the Lord to change my life. I want the Lord to save me right now. If that's you, would you raise up your hand right now? If you know you're not saved, but today's the day of salvation for you. Anybody here in Jesus' name? Yes, I see one raising their hand. Anybody join them? Two. Would anybody join these and say, I want to be saved. I want to move from cold to hot. Anybody join these? I see three and four. Anybody else join these in Jesus' name? This is what the Lord does is he saves. He saves you, Lord. Do it, Holy Spirit. Save these who raise their hands in Jesus' name. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. And you get to take believers' communion today. Father, would you bless us as we come to the table and celebrate your son. We do this as a family of God. Help us to overcome, Lord. Keep us, Lord. Chase us. Rebuke us. Stir us up for the things to come. We do what we do now in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen.